This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Jeff Webb. And we are bringing tax knowledge to the masses. So this is going to be another fun Tax Tuesday. We've, yes. done, we've done just a few of these. I think we're coming up on 200 here pretty quick. So we've been doing this for a little while. Real simple. We're going to answer a bunch of questions. We're going to answer your questions. And we have a ton of folks on to help participate and uh, and, and help y'all. Let me just see if I can get a list here. I got Matthew, Jennifer, Dana, Dutch, Elliot, Kurt, Sergey, Jared. So I have CPAs, tax attorneys, other staff, all on helping to answer your questions the way you do it. Let's go over the rules. If I can make the screen move. That's rule number one is figure out how to use the PowerPoint, Toby. All right. So you could ask your questions that you have specifically about one of your situations to, or if you want a clarification in the Q&A, not in the chat, in the Q&A. If you have a comment, you can put it in the chat like, hey, Jeff looks really good today. Jeff, that blue really does something to your eyes. You could do that in the chat. In fact, you should tell Jeff something good just to make him feel good. Somebody says, great to be here. Great, thanks. Some people are happy. But how about Jeff? What do you guys think of Jeff? Howdy, folks. Jeff's doing fantastic. Jeff, how is your health? Nobody wants to hear. You guys didn't know. Uh, Some of you guys knew that Jeff had a little cancer scare. He's been beating it with his fist and with doing, chemo. Doing the chemo treatments. and The most fun thing I've told you about is everything tastes like poo-poo. That's but, disgusting. But But I'm still eating, so... It's all good. So he's nothing about cancer. It's little, no, it's a huge deal. <laughs> but he's he's kicking its butt, and uh, you you seem to be doing pretty good. Yeah, I try. All right, that's what we care. I don't about. want to hear myself whine all the time. Uh, we don't want to hear it either. We want to see how you guys think about Jeff. And uh, look, there already people are saying sending you prayers. Uh, I love that. I love that. Been there, brother. So we already got. So you got some people there. Got a bunch of folks out there mm-hmm. supporting you. And yes, thank you. And Jeff looks really good. All right. So the other thing you could do is ask questions at TaxTuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com, which means you just send it in at any time to TaxTuesday at Anderson Advisors. In fact, that is where right now it's Elliot and Jeff that are picking all the questions. I don't see these things until a couple of minutes before, and they like to send annoying questions over to me that I have no idea what it means. I gave Elliot a lot of guff last time because of the questions that he picked out. But I, yeah, we got to give Elliot. Somebody's got to give. Him I got to give him some credit. I, I think there were some interesting questions in in this Tuesday's show. Well, we can't have it be the same questions every time, so we need to. Uh, there's some more cancer. Look at that. And somebody's talking about shrooms. I got to see what that is. Check out Lion's Mane. It makes the uh, chemo more potent. Eh? Huh? Lion's Mane. Huh. That's interesting. See, I actually have something to make it more potent. I have to go around for 48 hours after my chemo with that little bit, yeah. fanny pack on that for some reason makes it more potent. So <laughs> it's a bunch of chemo in there. Ditto on Lion's Mane. You got to check out Lion's Mane. You got, got some survivors out now. there. Yep. Now you got to do it. Thank you guys. All right. On to other things. <laughs> this is Cancer Tuesday. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to have Tax Tuesday. Here we go. I'm going to read out some of the questions and we'll get through it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's dive on in. All right. I'm a single family home real estate investor. Should I collect the rent in a separate checking account LLC versus the parent company LLC? Note, I have a parent company LLC that owns the holding company LLC that I bought the property in, and I have an S-Corp LLC collecting the rent. Is that correct? That sounds confusing, so it must be. No, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll make sure that we break that one down and give you your options. If refinance a rental home, can you start depreciating at refinance amount or does that have nothing to do with the original price paid and depreciation? So good question. We'll get into that. Thanks for talking so much about S-Corps, literally saving my small business. All right. Sometimes it's that those, it's that little bit, right? It's that few thousand dollars, five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars a year that sometimes makes the difference. So good. First question, if my business doesn't have enough money after expenses to reimburse me on its accountable plan, can any unpaid reimbursements owed to me become a debt to the company or treated as owner equity that'll be able to be drawn on next year? Second question, for home admin office, are we just claiming mileage or also gas expense with an escort? So good questions. We'll break that down. If that's confusing to you, we'll make it make a little more sense. 
once you understand some of the terminology. How do you determine the quality of a cost segregation vendor? How can you tell the good from the great? Does it even matter? We'll answer that one too. What are the tax benefits of buying a rental property? Is it correct that taxpayers can write off the entire cost of the asset, the rental property? If so, is this the last year in which one will be able to do this? Dun, 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 dun. The last year you could ever write off real. No, no well, don't worry about that. Spoiler <laughs> alert, you'll still be able to do it, but we're going to get into what, what is on a phase out. All right. I made a loan to an individual from a self-directed IRA. He is wanting to pay it back from a self-directed IRA. Hopefully his, like maybe it's somebody else, some, <laughs> some guy down the street. Will this create a taxable event to either of us? Good question. We'll go over it. I had a property fall vacant for repairs from July 20, uh, of 22 until April of 2023. So sounds like you took it out, fixed it up, did a rehab, took a little under a year. Can I still claim my expenses for the repairs while it wasn't rented out? So we'll go over that too. Can your, whenever you see SDIRA, it's a self-directed IRA, co-invest with you and not create a prohibited transaction, even if you self-manage and may use the assets? Question mark. And I already know where Jeff's going on this one. What business entity can leverage life insurance as an executive bonus plan for a tax deduction? Question mark. Good question. We'll go over what all those things are. When taking into account the bonus depreciation or bonus accelerated depreciation on investment property, how far back and forward in time can the losses be accounted for? So every one of these has been a good question. Mm -hmm. far, good job, you, Elliot. Elliot, you get a star this time. I don't care what Jeff says. Hey, if you like these types of questions, come on over to our YouTube channel. I have a channel. Clint has a channel. My channel tends to be more focused on financial planning and tax. Mm -hmm. And asset protection, Clint is real estate asset protection almost exclusively. So depending on what you're looking for, you'll be able to find it on our YouTube channel. While you're there, subscribe. There's a little subscribe button, looks like a bell. Click on the bell and it'll notify you. It does not spam you. It just lets you know when there's videos up. Right. I think we've had this last week, I think I put four or five up. Been a pretty busy last little bit. Lots of tax news going on. Lots of things going on in finance. If you're not paying attention. But anyway, you can go right there to eba.link forward slash YouTube. And we also post all of our Tax Tuesdays there. So if you see a thumbnail, if it says Tax Tuesday, that's generally a recording of the Tax Tuesday. So this one will probably be up in a few days. So if you're watching and you have to leave early, don't worry. You can always come in and catch the parts that you missed later. Or if you have to step out, you have to take a phone call, you can always come in and catch up on what you missed at some later time. Or if you just want to listen to it again because some of these questions get a little complicated and you got to hear them a couple of times before they really sink in. Anyway, let's dive in. Question number one, I'm a single family home real estate investor. Should I collect the rent in a separate checking account LLC versus the parent company LLC? Note, I have a parent company LLC that owns a holding company LLC that I bought the property in. So there's a, sounds like there's a real estate LLC that's owned. I would generally call it a holding LLC, but he's calling it a parent company. So we're not going to confuse it. Real estate's held in one LLC owned by a holding LLC that owns probably various other LLCs. And I have an S-corporation LLC, so an LLC taxed as an S-corporation, which is fine, collecting the rent. So that S-corp probably has no properties in it. It's simply acting as a manager, probably as a property manager. It's collecting the rent mm -hmm. and probably forwarding them down. Where should they be doing this? Like, should they be doing that, Jeff? And if, if not, what type of advice would you give them? Well, I, ideally, our structure looks like we have our properties and LLCs. They're owned by this holding company that we talk about. But the property manager is a completely different entity, usually a corporation. Could be an S-corporation, but I, I really don't care for an S-corporation property manager. So your property manager, if it's a corporation or the S corporation, could collect those rents, hold it for those LLCs with the properties in them, and be paying their expenses and so forth. Keeping in mind that whoever's collecting these rents, it's not their income. It's these properties down there that they'll yeah. be showing. I'm just putting R where the rental property is held and an H for the holding. And the tenants are paying up here, right here now. And this guy is probably forwarding money to the holding. What we really care about is that those rental properties, they're not making it to anywhere we, where they can find your holding 
We want to make sure it's not going to you individually. We want to make sure that in a perfect world, they would go to the LLC that holds the Mm -hmm. rental property. So that's the only entity they're dealing with. When you have a management company, sometimes you just have a property manager. So let's say that these were Jeff's properties. So Jeff has three rentals. He has a holding LLC that holds them all. And and I'm I'm an outside property manager and I'm managing all of his properties. And I say, hey, Jeff, where do you want your check every month? He may just say, send it to the holding. What we care about is what the tenant sees. And if they're paying me as the property manager, they don't see Jeff's holding company. So I could do that safely. What you don't want, because what you just said, is you don't want these guys down here to pay directly to the holding. Correct. Yeah. So we don't want that. So we just, no, please don't do that. The way you're doing it is fine, in my opinion. You would say, sometimes you don't like the S, sometimes you want to have another tax. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my preferable way to do it. And the reason, one of the reasons you don't want the holding company collecting this money is the tenants see that and something bad happens, they sue the holding company. But you don't want the tenant to see where the money ends up. So you really want to have an intermediary property management company. And if you are your own property manager, then yes, the right way to do it is this way or having it paid directly to the LLC if you don't have a management company. I like to use a management company. I like to have a throwaway entity that if it gets sued, you're like, eh, so I close it down. It doesn't have anything, right? Worst case scenario. So let's say that something bad happens on a property. They just, they claim that you did something as the property manager. Okay, well, I don't have any assets in there. It's pretty safe. What I want to do is make sure it's contained within that particular entity. Whereas if they sue the holding company, what does this holding company own? All of all those the properties. Yeah. And, we, and those LLCs underneath that do no good at all. Yep. So we just want to make sure that we're not putting that holding entity, the he- entity that owns the other LLCs at risk. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to do that is through using an intermediary company, using a property manager, doing something to make sure that there's a blocker in between that holding entity and the tenant where the liability is. And that property uh, management company doesn't have to be anything fancy. Mm-mm. It doesn't have to have really anything in it. No. And it's not a license. If you're you're self-managing, you don't even have to have the property management license. Should each property have its own LLC? Yeah. The best practice, if you're less than 10 properties, is to have them in each. And this is my rule of thumb. So take you can adjust it. It all depends on your ability to lose. Mm -hmm. So if I have hundreds of properties, which I have hundreds of properties, I will oftentimes lump LLCs together because if if I lose 10, it's not a big deal. If you have three properties and you put them all in one LLC and you lose all three properties, that could be a pretty devastating blow if you're building, right? If you have 10 properties, you may say, hey, you know what? I'm okay. Two properties per LLC. Maybe you're doing that. But we try to take that issue away from you with our titanium program because we say pay one fee and then you have unlimited LLCs and we'll set them up. The other thing you can do is use land trusts. Mm-hmm. So depending on your state, sometimes land trusts have asset protection, like in Florida, and you might use those or at least make sure that you don't have a bunch of properties in the same name. Tenant gets an inkling that they've been harmed. Like for whatever reason, you've evicted them. Maybe you're, maybe they're just mad. Maybe you give them a hard time in their, in their mind and they start thinking mold or they start thinking of anything that they can claim against the, the, the landlord. What you don't want is they start searching for what you own and they see, oh, look, this property is owned by an LLC that owns 10 other properties because you're inviting the issue. As long as we can make sure that they don't see that, whether it's be with land trusts, Wyoming statutory trusts, LLCs, then we're accomplishing our objective, which is security through obscurity. Don't let them see it so that it doesn't create the issue. Kind of like when you're playing with the dog, don't let them see the dog biscuit. (laughs) They see the dog biscuit, they're going to misbehave. Hide the dog biscuit. All right. It's probably a bad analogy. All right. If refinance a rental home, can you start depreciating at refinance amount or does that have nothing to do with the original price paid in depreciation? Okay. The first question I asked, I didn't, I didn't even get past the first comma is why would you refinance right now? Mortgage uh, rates are seven and a quarter percent right now. Yeah. Anyway, let's say you do You're refinance. You're being so logical. You're <laughs> such an accountant. Let's say you do refinance right now. Your depreciation doesn't start over. You continue to depreciation. The loan, as you say later on, has nothing to do with depreciation, except if you get a cash out refinancing and use that financing to improve your home, then anything you improve, say I put 
$50,000 in the kitchens and bathrooms. Those all start getting depreciated now. Yeah. But it doesn't reset where you're already at with your main house. So the refi doesn't mean anything. It's neutral. It's what you do with the money from the refi that matters. So if all I was doing was fixing stuff, for example, I'm just writing it off as a repair expense. But if I'm adding an addition to the house, then I'm depreciating that and I'm adding it to my depreciation schedule. Mm -hmm. It gets added. Now, here's a big one. You have a rental home, you start depreciating. Like, so let's say you have a rental home and you go, I need to refinance it, but I'm going to replace the roof. So we're taking the whole roof off. You're retiring the original roof and you're going to take a big deduction for getting rid of that property. You're putting it out of service. Right. So whatever amount you haven't depreciated on the old roof, roof, whatever you say, roof, the top of it, (laughs) you're going to write that off, whatever you haven't. So if you've had the property for 10 years and you've been depreciating that over 27 and a half years, you're going to write off the remaining 17 and a half years. And then you're going to start redepreciating the new roof, which is Mm -hmm. whatever you spent on it. So let's say you've spent 20 grand on a roof. You're going to start depreciating that the day you put it in service and it's available for use. So as soon as you make it available to for, for rent, you're going to start writing that off over 27 and a half years or it's useful life. So some things like you fix a deck or something that might, and you use a cost seg, you might get to write it off even faster. But the refi itself, nada, doesn't mean a thing. Now you may be saying, Jeff, I'm not going to refinance at seven and a quarter percent. I'm going to buy down my points. Well, here's what's something we never, ever talk about is when you have points or anything that you're paying they're, loan fees and you refinance on an investment property, those get amortized over the life of the loan. You cannot deduct those up front. They get added to your basis and it sucks. Yeah. Which means if you didn't write them off, like don't, if, if, if you're doing stuff yourselves, a lot of times people are like, oh, I can't write that off. And then you forget about it. You don't add it back in. And here's the rule. You don't have to write it off over the useful life, but you definitely have to recoup it when you sell because it's still going to be, is that going to be part of your recapture? Usually it's a separate line item just for amortized loan points. So if you don't so, take the write-off, then are you like some, and a lot of things that you have to, you may write it off, like the roof, mm-hmm. I may write off, but if you don't write it off, you still have to recapture it when you sell. Yeah. Specifically, like you're talking about depreciation, you don't have to take depreciation, but IRS is going to want you to take depreciation and recapture it even, even though you never deducted it. Yeah. It's may and must. You may depreciate, but you must recapture. Let's see. Anyway, I think we beat that one to death. All right. Thanks for taking or talking. <laughs> taking S-Corps. Uh, thank you for talking so much about S-Corps, literally saving my small business. First questions. If my business doesn't have enough money after expenses to reimburse me on its accountable plan, can any unpaid reimbursements owed become a debt to the company or treat it as owner equity? That'll be able to be drawn on next year. Second question. Let's, let's answer that one first. So we're going to answer question number one. And we'll go back to question number two. So on the face of the first question, the answer is no, you can't deduct it if you if, if the company has not actually reimbursed you. Mm-hmm. But, but c- could they treat it as a debt? Hey, you owe me. I'm an employee. You have to be an employee of an organization to be under an accountable plan. Well, and, they, they can't treat it just as a debt, but there is a backdoor way to do that. And that is you contribute the money to or loan the money to your company. The company reimburses you back mm-hmm. and then the company gets to deduct it. Yeah. Uh, same with uh, you could contribute as capital. It's going to create a loss, though. If you loan it, are you at an issue? If it's going to create a loss, you, you probably don't want to do that. You, you probably want to contribute. contribute. Right. You actually give the company the money and say, here's more money. Like, let's say this is the S-Corp. Mm-hmm. Let's give money to the S-Corp in exchange for stock. You're just going to have more equity and you create a loss and then it yep. reimburses you. So is is your bank account different? Hey, it owes me ten thousand. I'm going to give it ten thousand. But what you just did is, I went from having zero line item, no revenue, no loss, no profit, to having a negative ten thousand dollar loss that now I can use against my other W two income. And, and real quick, when you take a loss on an S corp, you have to have basis in that loss. Yeah. And um, one way to do that is for you to loan money to your S corporation. However, when they pay you back, it's considered capital gain. Ooh. So that's why if you just contribute it to APIC additional paid in capital, mm-hmm. we don't run into that at all. So yeah, 
And now you have, you have, I mean, you have basis in your, your stock. Correct. And now you're writing it off and now you have no basis. So if you ever sell the company, you're going to have to recognize any amount that you end up getting. But so yeah, that, that's why it sounds crazy when we say, no, make loans to your C-Corp, make capital contributions to your S-Corp. And it's like, what's going on? The big question is, do you need the deduction? So if I'm sitting it and I'm making $50,000 a year mm-hmm. and what tax bracket, you know, so I'm paying... 12%. 12, yeah. Like you say, all right, it's really not going to save me much to contribute it and take that loss. And then next year, I know I'm going to make $100,000, right? I'd probably be better off saving that deduction for mm-hmm. when I actually get to use it or to the next year so I can use it then as opposed to contributing money and creating a loss. Because somebody says, what is an accountable plan? An accountable plan is when you are an employee of an organization and it reimburses you expenses that you occur on behalf of the business or at the betterment of the business. Yes. This little thing right here, if it's just me and I'm Toby's Pizza Place, I have to track my business use on it. Mm-hmm. If Toby's Pizza Place is an S-Corp, it's getting a benefit of my phone. It can reimburse me the 100% phone, data, everything. And you can do that with any employee. And the employee reports it nowhere. It doesn't get reported on your wages. It doesn't get reported for self-employment tax. It doesn't. It doesn't show up on your 1040 at all. And that comes to question number two, because here, let me, let me preface this before I give it to you, Jeff. When you are a sole proprietor, you have a home office deduction. You have a special tax form for home office deduction where they take your gross square footage and you get to use the portion of the home that's used ex- uh, principally or exclusively for business. And you get to write off that amount compared to the total value of the structure, which kind of stinks, or you're doing five bucks a square foot. So if you have a 10 by 15 foot room, what is that? About 750 bucks or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah, about 750 bucks a year. If it's an administrative office, I can reimburse you under any reasonable method, the amount that goes to the benefit. So that same scenario, I'm no longer using gross square footage. I'm going to use net square footage at a minimum. And more than likely, I'm going to use a room method to figure out like how many rooms are in the house and how many rooms am I using for my business. And at that point, I can reimburse all of my proportionate expenses, utilities, property taxes, mortgage, even depreciation. And what happens is you go from having 750 to much, much more, 5,000, 6,000, it's not uncommon. You don't report it anywhere. Whereas in a sole proprietorship, you have that extra form, Mm -hmm. which I think gets them audited. So the audit rates, when you compare an S-corp versus a sole proprietor, the audit rates are in some cases 16, 1700% higher for the sole proprietor making you know, if you put them side by side, it's not even close. It's hundreds of percent to thousands of percent higher when you're a sole proprietor. And it's because you're basically just putting a big big old bullseye on your back. You're supposed to track everything that's business use and nobody does. And how do we know that nobody does? Because 94 to 95% of the time, the IRS wins the audit when it's a sole proprietor. And those numbers are drastically different for an escort. So second question. For the admin office, are we claiming, are we just doing that for claiming mileage or do we also get to claim some of the expenses? The admin office does all the stuff you just talked about. Yep. It it deducts a portion of your home. And and one more bit of craziness between the home office and the administrative office. Home office, you're required to include depreciation and you have to recapture that when you sell your property. Oh, vomit. You mean I have to pay tax even if I have a 121 exclusion that would keep me from having? Yes, sir. Yeah. On an admin office, you can include depreciation. Woe is me. But you don't have to recapture it. Yeah, so you don't have to report it anywhere. You don't have to recapture it. You just can't double dip, right? So if We don't know why. Yeah, so so if you're writing off your property taxes, you can't reimburse yourself and not have a tax event, unless it's your property taxes are more than 10,000, in which case then you probably could. So when we talk about administrative office and personal mileage, they're really two different things. Administrative office is for having an office in your home. It is not your principal place of business, typically. It's, it's used where you're doing your management activities. So, right. so if you're a typical Anderson client, let's say, and you have your business, you have your real estate over here, but you're doing everything from your home. You're running it all from, like you have the Wyoming entity, but you're sitting in Washington. That's perfect. That's an administrative office in your home and the company should be reimbursing the proportionate area of that, of, of that home. Or based it on the room method. If it's a three bedroom, two bath, you're probably talking about 20%. You're probably talking about one fifth because you, you look at the living room and the kitchen area, right? You'd call those rooms, three bedrooms, five rooms, one of them's being used for business. 
It's 20% of everything. If you have a cleaner, it's 20% of the cleaner. You have property taxes, 20% of the property taxes. Plus you get to take what's the depreciation that I would have been able to do if this was being used as a rental and I get to reimburse myself 20% of that. Mm -hmm. Plus I can write off, like if I fix up the room, paint it, put new wiring in it so I could make it into my studio or whatnot, get to write all that off or the company reimburses you and you don't have to recognize it as income. The company writes it off. All right, I'm gonna make it a little crazier. If I fix up my kitchen, I get a chunk of that for as an indirect expense on my administrative office. Isn't that weird? It doesn't matter what you're doing. The only area that really gets funky is if you're doing landscaping, but you don't have anybody coming to your home, then there's a good chance the IRS is going to disallow that. Yeah, they're going to disallow a lot of the stuff that happens outside your front door or back door. But if you're seeing people in your home and you actually can write that off, especially like if you have a separate entryway and it's all decked out and you're putting some nice plants and stuff and you're maintaining it. Yeah, you might have an expense that's that's a direct expense. You'd write that off 100%. You don't even have to take proportionality. All right, but back to the question. They want to write off mileage. Let me just explain why this is an issue. If I am somebody and let's say I'm a let's say I'm a realtor and I have an office across town and I just not doing an administrative office in the home, but all I do is I that's where I work. I don't get to write off my mileage from my home to the that office. So every time I go from my home to the office, that's commuting. I don't get to take a deduction. I can't write off miles or actual expense method. Mm -hmm. But if I have an administrative office in my home and I have a place to work anytime I travel between them, now I can reimburse myself the miles. And the question here is, do I just do the mileage? I think it's 65 and a half cents right now or something right around there. Yeah, it just went up in June. But you get to write off the amount whatever it is posted that the IRS allows you to, you just track your miles. I would use mile IQ, make it really simple and it'll track it GPS wise. Mm -hmm. And you get to reimburse yourself that amount. You don't have to recognize it. And the company gets to write it off. It's 65 and a half cents, says Sherry. Sherry's one of our accountants. No, she's one of our clients. She's really cool. Thank you, Sherry. You may as well be one of our accountants. Uh, Somebody says, way to kick that peach, Toby. I'm a realtor. Yes. Yes, Greg, that's what we want to do. We want to write off. We want to get good. You guys need the help right now, right? Slow down a little bit. So you guys need every bit. Yeah, 65 and a half cents. All right. But you can't do both. You can't do the actual expense method and mileage. No. You have to pick one. And this is a good time to remind people that you need to track when you had your mileage, especially this year, because they cut the year right in half and there's an interest rate now that's 65 and a half cents. But before July 1st, it was like, 58 cents or something like that. So you need to track your mileage for the first half of the year versus the second half of the year. Yep. But isn't that cool? Now you know. Don't be a sole proprietor. (laughs) That's why this guy's probably, hey, thanks for talking about Escort. Because I rail on this stuff all the time. 70% of the businesses out there still set up as sole proprietors. I'm like, you're you're an audit risk. You're going to lose. They make it really hard. And realistically, the rules are no different for a sole proprietor and an Escort as far as record keeping. It's just the rules are way different for what you can write off. Yeah, we see people put some questionable items on Schedule C and they get nailed for it all the time. And there's Jerry says, my IQ is the best. I pull monthly report and expense. And hi, Jerry. So I get to see everybody. It's like it's it's just like a little party with everybody that I know. They come on. They're rock stars. Jerry, you're a rock star. You're always so nice. All right. How do you determine the quality of a cost segregation vendor? How can you tell the good from the great? Does it even matter? I'm going to let you deal with this one because you had to figure out who we like working with. Yeah, so there's lots of choice, but what I look at is the IRS and what they tell us. And so they're looking, and there's two things I look at. A, I don't want to have to worry about the IRS auditing us. If we do get audited, I want to make sure that we have our T's crossed and our I's dotted. But even more importantly, I want to feel so confident that I can be aggressive and write off on the higher end. So let's say that Jeff buys a property and Jeff buys a million dollar property and its land value is 200,000. He's got $800,000 of depreciable asset and he's got a bunch of other things that he's doing. What I look at is I go, hmm, a good basic cost seg is going to get you somewhere in 20%. So I'd get $160,000 deduction. A better cost seg, like you got a good engineer with a CPA firm and they're actually like doing this the right way, they might be 27%. And a great company that does this day on and that's all they do is going to be closer to 35%. 
right? And all of a sudden I went from, now I have to figure out what 35% of 800,000 is. I was hoping you were going to look at me. I should have done like something that was like 35. A million. Times. Yeah. It is, is 280,000. So I just literally went from, I added a hundred thousand dollar more deduction. Yep. And to somebody that might be 20 or 30 grand, right? That's in their pocket. They say today. So I'm looking at it going, I'm probably going to go with the folks that I know what they do. You want engineers, you want a CPA to stand behind it. And we don't even do cost seg studies. No. We outsource to a company that all they do was a CPA firm that all they do is energy credits and cost seg. So you know what they do really, really well? Energy credits and cost seg. Right. Right. And you know what I can do is I can send people to them and I say, get them the max amount. I can depend on them. The taxpayer can, if we get... If the IRS, because we haven't even had one really that came under attack, are there any that you could think of in the no. years that we've been doing this? No, not not as far as cost segregation goes. Because you give them the report and you're done. But you get to take a hard line. We're not like people say, oh, cost segs, you're going to get scrutinized. They may ask to see the report. They have a right to do that. Are you attaching the report to the actual return? Yes. So they're looking at it. You don't even realize it. All you know is that, hey, we're never getting molested by this group. And then people are out there like, oh my gosh, there's all this bad stuff going on in that area. Yeah, there usually is when people are doing it the wrong way. You want to get audited, like small businesses get audited more. No, actually they don't, you know, than individuals or this, that, and the other. No, sole proprietors get audited a lot, like multiple times higher than an individual. S-corps actually get audited less than individuals, like a fraction of 1%. And individuals are around 2%. I think last year was 0. 0.012 or 0. 0.025. It was like a, a one quarter of 1% and below. It was an asterisk in the IRS report last year. They just, just not looking at them. Why? Because there's nothing to get. So they're looking to see, all right, where can I get the money? You know, with, without getting too technical, the IRS loves to audit poor people because poor people pay the most. They don't like to audit rich people because rich people bring accountants and attorneys and drag it and they don't make as much. So you just want to make it to where, hey, I have a cost seg study. I obviously paid for it. I have the engineering study right there. They're not going to, they're never going to mess with you. And we do tens of thousands of returns over the last few years, thousands upon thousands that involve cost segs. So uh, when we can send you somebody, somebody's saying that now, who do you recommend? <laughs> and I, I'll point you, uh, Eric, uh, we actually have a link. If, if somebody wants to put the link for, uh, it's for CSA, I don't know if anybody has it. And, and, and something I've seen, Toby, there was... You have so, free report, that little link that Troy just put out there to everybody. If you ever want a cost seg study, they'll, they'll look at it for free. They'll do the analysis for free. And then you could decide. They'll tell you what it costs and what you're going to get out of it. A, a lot of the companies will do an estimate of how much you're going to save and all. What I found with CSA is they're asking a lot of questions to see if this even makes sense for you. Before you even pull the Before trigger. you even pull the trigger and give them any money. Yep. If you're not going to get any anything out of it, they don't particularly want to do the cost seg. They got plenty of business already. So Eric Oliver, like if you look on YouTube and you want to see some of the real estate tax, just type in real estate tax and look and go through. And if you see Eric Oliver, you see a big guy, slightly hair challenge, um, <laughs> super nice guy. Eric's, Eric's awesome. We go over it, but we also use a simple methodology, seven times your money. I always look and say, I want a seven time return. Juice worth the squeeze to me is 7X, 10X. So if it costs me 2000 I want to save at least $14,000 in my pocket. Somebody just says, uh, here's a good one. So somebody just says, I used CSA for two properties last year. It's cost seg authority. And let me see if I can get to it. How much did it save you? How much did it save you? Eric does a great job. Somebody else just said it too. Lila, how much did it save you last year? It's called an excellent haircut, Toby. Oh, <laughs> is that Eric? No, that's oh. just over uh, over sixty five thousand dollars. So that's what it comes down to. Like, I'm not going to ask you how much it costs, but because it, it was obviously worth it. But sixty five thousand that's some nice money in my pocket. So that's generally why you do it. And it's otherwise you're giving the government a, an interest free loan. And I could make that over there. Uh, we did three cost segs over six hundred thousand dollars in bonus depreciation. So how much does that save you? Whatever your tax rate is, that could be a high amount, though. If you're doing a cost seg on a commercial property, the rules are a little different. They're a little more stringent. A company like CSA can do that, a cost segregation. But yeah, you have to have an engineer actually go in and look at the property and so forth. They do. CSA actually sends the engineer. Right. But you have to. It's not a question of, should I? Could I just use the software? Like there's some software peddlers mm -hmm. out there that are going to charge you. They still ain't cheap. They're just not going to do it right. 
Yeah. And I would much rather you do it right. And it's the difference between, hey, uh, somebody says they just did a virtual tour, so they had somebody look at it. Great. As long as there's somebody that's standing behind it that has credentials, you're good. But uh, what, it, what, what drives me crazy is people will go out there, do the software, and it'll get them a 20% deduction versus they, they could have had a 30% or 35% deduction with somebody else. And that's what you want. You want to have somebody who's going to stand behind it and defend it too. But cost seg is just a fancy way of saying breaking a property down into its components. What's the five-year property? What's the seven-year property? What's the 15-year property? And what's the structure? What's the 27 and a half or 39-year property, depending <laughs> on the type of property it is? So then you just get to figure out whether or not it makes sense to you. Some people, you do a cost seg, you're not bonus depreciating anything. You're just not having to pay a lot of tax on your rents. Mm-hmm. For a lot of years, it might be 10 years, rents come in tax-free. I'll, I'll take that action. Somebody says, I'm on my third cost seg and definitely worth it. Got a $50,000 refund each year. Real estate investors, I love you guys. All right. Because it's never small. Real estate investors, that's always the fun. Did we already do this one? What are the, what are the tax benefits of buying a rental property? Is it correct that a taxpayer that taxpayers can write off the entire cost of the asset? rental property? If so, is this the last year in which one will be able to do this? I'm not crazy about people making major investments for tax purposes. There are much better reasons to buy rental property. You have the cash flow, you have the uh, increase in value. (laughs) Anything to lower the amount you're having to pay to Uncle Sam. No offense to Uncle Sam, but he beats us with a stick. But typically, unless you're a real estate professional, it's not going to lower your taxes. It's going to save you from having to pay tax on the rental. Yeah. I get tripped with this every year, Jeff. Do you? Every year. Because Clint and I, we got all these properties coming out of our years. I know. And it's like, you sit there and every year we're like, ah, what's going to be the taxable amount? And we're not real estate professionals. All we just want to make sure. Do you have other jobs? Yeah. <laughs> we just want to make sure we don't pay tax on the rents that we receive. And there's a pretty good, it's pretty solid. No, and, and that makes sense. But you're accumulating wealth through those, that real estate. You didn't buy the real estate to necessarily well, we've save had, on taxes. No, but you, you're buying it because you want the cash flow. Right. But it, once you get into real estate, you start buying real estate so you don't have to pay tax on the real estate that you have. I need another cost seg. It's, hey, how about the guys that do the syndications? True. So you have a syndication and you know, you know, hey, we just exited a syndication and I just got $200,000 of tax and I'm like, crap. And you buy another syndication or another real estate product where there's passive income and you can passive and you have passive losses. The passive loss will offset the passive capital gain that you have from the previous exit. Then you're buying stuff sometimes with a tax appetite because you're like, you know what? I would have to pay $50,000 of tax on this. But if I buy this property, I save the $50,000. i am looking at it going, I got a pretty, like, I got to factor that into my equation. It's not mm-hmm. the only thing I'm looking at, but it's kind of like, ah, I save 50 grand. That's like a discount on the property that I'm buying. And sometimes it's enough to push you over. Somebody says, how will bonus depreciation affect cost seg? It doesn't. No. Right. Bonus depreciation is on assets that have a useful life of 20 years or, or, or less. And you can bonus this year, it's 80% of whatever that depreciable amount is in the first year. Even if there was no bonus, you're still taking a 27 and a half year asset and turning it into a five or seven or maybe even a 15 year asset. In other words, depreciating it much, much faster. And you're avoiding the recapture. Yep. So if I depreciate a rug, I always use this as an example because it's so disgusting. Imagine a rug that you've had for 15 years. The IRS will make you pay tax on the value of that rug the day that you bought the property when you sell that property. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to pay it at 25%. Why am I paying 25% of this crappy rug? It looks nasty that if, if I let it sit in there for 15 years. I'm not selling you the rug. I'm, I'm just here. Comes with house. <laughs> yeah. You're going to try like, you know, it doesn't have any value. So you should be paying. So, so recapture on. can I write off the entire amount? Yes and no. So if you pay $100,000 for a house, a portion of that 10 to $20,000 will go towards land. You can't write land on it. Mm-hmm. The rest will depre- be depreciated. So if I have a remaining $90,000 in a house, I'm going to write that off, but over 27 and a half years. Now, if I do a cost segregation, especially on a little more expensive house, mm-hmm. I might be able to pull stuff out of that $90,000 and say, oh, this is five-year property and this is seven-year property. My cabinets, that's not 27 and a half-year property. Mm-hmm. And I can write those off much quicker and take bonus depreciation. You can't take bonus depreciation on the structure itself. Right. So the easiest way to think about this, if you're walking into somebody's house 
and just pretend like next time you walk to a neighbor's house or you get invited to dinner somewhere or you go into somebody else's house, even trick-or-treating, whatever, right? You're walking up and you look and you see their little driveway and there's some fence and there's some nice little shrubs and you walk into the house and you see the carpet and there's some, you know, tile or linoleum and there's some new cabinets. It looks nice. And you see that backyard was just, they just redid the backyard. Your accountant mind should immediately be going, oh, that fence is 15 year property. Those are land improvements. That's 15 year. The driveway is 15 year. The carpet is five year property. Those cabinets are five years. And all of a sudden you're realizing, wait a second, most of this house, a good chunk of it is not 27 and a half years, but your accountant will have you write it off over 27 and a half years if you're not careful. It's actually an inappropriate method to write it off over 27 and a half years. So you're supposed to do a cost seg, but they don't make you do a cost seg. So it could be, ah, somebody says there's something about an AC unit. Uh, HVAC is not included as a bonus item for bonus depreciation. It has a useful life of 27 and a half years if it's residential. If it's commercial, you can depreciate it, I think, under one seven. Yeah, there, there's a new rule that came out a couple of years mm-hmm. ago for that. Air conditioning, if it's a window unit, that's five-year property. Yeah, that's appliance. If it's outside of the interior of the house, especially on a pad or on your roof, we got a lot of long roofs here. 27 and a half. 27 and a half years. Yep. Ooh. Somebody says if it's commercial. Commercial, you actually have it. I think you get 179, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you can write that off under a different under a different section. But anyway, can you write off the entire cost of the rental property? The improvement? Yes. The only question is over five, seven, 15 years, 27 and a half years if it's residential, 39 years if it's not residential. Now, people have mentioned, you know, I say you can't write off the land. People mention condos. I live on the 17th floor of this condo. I learned that this year. I was this year's this year old when I learned this, by the way. IRS says a portion of what you purchase is the land that the property sits on, mm-hmm. no matter where it is in the tower or in the duplex or whatever. But they use the appraisal. They, they'll let you use the assessed value or the mm-hmm. appraised value. Yeah, it's usually fairly small. It was but- zero. Really? And so I was sitting there looking at it and I was arguing with an accountant because he was like, no, we're going to use zero. And I says, that doesn't make sense to me, my brain. But, but but if you say so, and he goes, look it up, Toby. So I learned this this year the hard way because I'm looking at it going, there's no way you're not having to, like, you can write off the entire deal. And they said, yeah, the IRS is using the assessed value. And he said to me, he was like, look, I've been doing this a long time. I don't tend to invest in a, in a condos because they have association fees that I don't like that usually go in rentals, but whatever. And I was like, oh man, like, and I was trying to figure it out. And I had a client that had an appraisal and the assessment both at zero. And uh, I looked at the IRS and they said they follow the assessed value or the or the appraised. And they said, and sometimes there's no, there's no land value because it doesn't have any intrinsic value. It was, they they built everything on it. Otherwise it had no value. It's like, okay. (laughs) You didn't argue. I'm not going to argue. We'll write the whole thing off. All right. What do we have? I made a loan to an individual from my self-directed. So it says a self-directed IRA. I'm going to assume that's your IRA. So you loaned it out of a most likely a self-directed IRA. He is wanting to pay it back from a self-directed IRA. Will this create a taxable event for either of us? For you, no. For him, yes. Mm -hmm. And, And here's a real quick rule. IRAs cannot have loans. So you had to give the money to him. You had, your, your loan had to be to him. If he's repaying you through his IRA, he's actually taken distributions, which are taxable to him. Unless it's a Roth IRA. Unless it's a Roth IRA that he's held for at least five years. Yes. Or he's receiving back the money that he contributed into the Roth yeah. IRA. We're just being annoying at that point. Or actually, not we, me. There's always little nuances there. But the fact of the matter is Jeff just nailed it. You can loan as long as they're not a disqualified party. So I made a loan to an individual. As long as that individual isn't like your kid or your parents or your spouse, right? You're, you're okay. And then if, however they pay it back, it doesn't matter to you. You don't care. One other real, real quick thing is there's not a whole lot of differences between self-directed IRAs and IRAs. The rules as far as IRS is concerned are the same. Yep. It's just what the custodian's going to allow you to have in them. Yep. And what you can, yeah. So a lot of people are like, hey, I have a Fidelity IRA. And they said it's illegal to buy real estate in an IRA. I'm like, no, they just don't let you do it in theirs. And they're just scaring you. because They, they, don't, they don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. No, you can buy whatever you want. Just be careful if it's collectibles and art and stuff like that. You got some different rules. You can't deal with disqualified parties. I don't care. 
you got a kid that's got a rental property. I don't care how good a deal. I'll sell you a million dollar property for a buck. It's prohibited. So it's like, <sighs> all right. I had a property fall vacant for repairs from July of 2022 until April of 2023. Can I still claim my expenses for the repairs while it is rented out or while it wasn't rented out? So it's sitting vacant. What do I do with my expenses, Jeff? I'll start with the easy ones, the ordinary and necessary expenses, as they call them. You can deduct those. The repairs, and we're not talking about improvements. Uh, you redo your kitchen, that's probably going to be an improvement. But repairs to replace the roof, like, like you were saying earlier, or you have bad tenants that torque cabinets off the wall, stuff like that. Those are repairs. You can deduct those. Uh, improvements are going to have to capitalize and depreciate. Other expenses, uh, what are your feelings on this? Well, here's the thing. there's a, like If you have a vacant unit, you're not going to get to take losses on it, right? I believe that if you have a, a vacant unit that you can't create loss. Is that, am I thinking yes. that right? Yes, I believe you are. And so, you know, you're going to still take your repairs and everything else just like you would normally, but you're not going to be able to use those losses. So you, yes. Can you still claim your expenses? Yes. When you make improvements, do you get to write those off? No. If you cost seg, this is why, like, I think that Eric would always say, put it into service first, because once you have it into service, we're good. Then do your cost seg. Now we can see all the improvements and write those off. They're treated like personal property. So it's not, I lost July until April and I can't use any of the depreciation from that. I'm writing it off if it was in service during 2023, I'd write off. 80% of any item that was a five-year, seven-year, 15-year property. So I do this big improvement and in 2022, it's not really going to help me. In 2023, I'm going to get a big fat deduction. So I'm going to take that action all day long. Oh, one difference I wanted to point out or one thing I wanted to point out was this was a property that was taken out of service by the landlord. This wasn't a property where I couldn't find a renter because I'm charging way too much or. Yeah. So th- this isn't, this, this isn't available property for rent. Right. This is out of service. When you do a rehab, you're, you're, it's out of service. It's not, oh, I wish somebody would rent my property. Hey, look, uh, the tax and asset protection workshop. You can absolutely sign up. Clint does a great job of going over land trust, LLCs, corporations, how to structure things from a real estate standpoint. I go over the tax section and legacy planning. So you'll learn about living trusts. You'll learn all about a bunch of stuff we talked about today, but we'll get into some more detail on some of the real estate treatments for things like subject to wholesaling. Uh, We'll go over some studies side by side of different taxpayers and uh, how the same dollar might be taxed differently depending on how you structure it. So there's a, a bunch of fun stuff that we do during those workshops. There's two that I could see right here, August 17th and August 26th that are virtual events. So they're just sit in your uh, sweats all day, watch, interact. We have a whole bunch of attorneys on and other folks on there to support you and answer questions from accountants too. And then we do a live event. This is September 14th through the 17th in Las Vegas, right here uh, where I'm, Jeff and I are located just about 10, 10 miles from us as we're sitting here today. We're doing a live event from September 14th to the 17th and tickets are still available on that. There's a small fee for those because we're running out of huge uh, casino hall. I think we're at the uh, Virgin Hotel, which is the old Hard Rock. And uh, first day is going to be a lot on stock investing, real estate. And uh, and if I can, hopefully we we might do some other other business fun stuff. It's all how to make money. And then the the following three days are on all asset and tax topics. You're going to learn all about nonprofits. You're going to learn about LLCs, Wyoming, corporations, you, you name it. But we're going into deep dive and uh, we get to hang out. It's always fun, always fun. And then a good looking bookkeeper. Right? I think Troy's coming up and doing some bookkeeping on Sunday. It'll be fun. Uh, I think Jen just posted the link. If you're thinking about it, you should come to Vegas and hang out with us. Because it's a lot more fun when we can see eye to eye. There's, and it's, uh, you get to hang out with a whole bunch of really cool people. I know it's hundreds of people that have already registered. And uh, we, we sold out last year, December. I think we sold out earlier this year. And then we did one in Orlando that we're pretty, it was really, really jammed. But if you ever get a chance, come out to our live events. It's just a different experience. But, though the virtual ones are fun too, but they're over before they start. You know, you only have five, six hours. All right. Can your self-directed IRA co-invest with you and not create a prohibited transaction? 
even if you self-manage and may use the assets. Jeff, what do you think? Answer to the question. The first question is absolutely yes. You can do that. You set up a joint venture between the two of you, preferably what in an LLC to protect both of you. Keep in mind- That trips people out. It's not a prohibited transaction to go into a joint venture with your self-directed IRA or 401k, but you can't keep doing multiple transactions. It's a one and done. You're done. They invest, you invest. That's not prohibited. But then once you're done with that, you can't start dumping more money in from one side or the other. Correct. Neither you nor the IRA can contribute more money, which means you have to contribute enough to cover all those expenses. Yep. You got to make sure you're thinking ahead and give yourself some buffer and then maybe look to see if you can't get some credit even so that if worst thing happens that you're not you're not stuck. But then we go to the second question. Even if you self-manage or maybe use it personally. All right. So I know what you're thinking. You can't use the asset. No. I can't get a, hey, let's get this really cool house in Vegas that I'm going to make into a rental and then I'm going to go have a party in it. No, you don't get to use that. Ever. Yeah. But you can self-manage. And by self-manage, you can't get paid. You can't receive any personal benefit from your labor. So you could be a a telephone tough guy uh, and, and, and like manage it through your through another property manager or through your custodian. I mean, you're just not allowed to get paid for it. You can't get any personal benefit out of it, nor can you go pick up a hammer and start. Exactly. I was going to say that. You can't work on the property. Yeah. You can manage the property unpaid, but you cannot do anything that might increase the value of that property. I see. Backwards? Yeah, I'm going backwards because a whole bunch of people are asking about which one was the live one and which one was the virtual one. There you go. So the, the live one is... Let's see if I can actually, it says live event, but I'm going to put my little there live. The other ones are virtual. These little, this little thing right there. And yeah, Clint does a really good job, by the way, when he's, I'm both of them. Clint's been my partner for 25 years, 26 years, long time. And I would encourage you to come spend some time with us because we actually have a good time. And I like meeting people. Wife's always yelling at me because I go hang out with everybody. It's like, yeah, they're fun. All right. Next one. What business entity can leverage life insurance as an executive bonus plan for tax deduction? I read this question and I couldn't think of any way to leverage life insurance as a deduction. What we talked about, Elliot and I, and then again, you and me, is you can pay out bonus that's not subject to FICA taxes, Medicare taxes. You can do an executive compensation plan Mm -hmm. where let's say I was giving Jeff life insurance and I was paying into that. So I was paying $20,000 a year. Jeff still has to pay tax on the 20 grand because it's his mm-hmm. policy, but I don't have to do employment taxes on it. We could avoid the payment That's of true. old age, disability, and survivors of Medicare. Now, there is a way to write off life insurance. It's a really complicated, like there's two ways. There's, there's, there's doing a, a transaction where the insurance is purchased by you, funded by a loan out of a qualified public charity that you are uh, an employee of. There's that way, or you do what's called corporate owned life insurance, where generally speaking, you don't take a deduction ever for life insurance. But in that particular case, you could choose to take the deduction, but then the death benefit is taxable. So you get into a bunch of weird rules. What I would suggest is that you talk to somebody who does executive compensation plans. And and if you're in that level where you have hundreds of thousands of dollars a year coming in and you know that you want to push a bunch into a, a plan, a 7702 plan, which is mutual life insurance or index universal life or variable universal life, and you know you want to take advantage of that that growth and the ability to loan yourself money and not pay tax on it. Some people call it infinite banking. There's all these different terms for it. But if you know that's you, talk to somebody who's an expert in that area. You're not going to get generally a deduction for it, but you can get this. You can borrow money to do it. This is premium finance. And when you do that, some of you guys are aware that when you borrow money, it's not taxable. You use it in a plan and then you're allowing the plan to grow. There's all these different models. And I'm not going to say this is good or this is bad. I just know that when you start crunching numbers, sometimes it comes out in your favor and you're making a intelligent decision based off the numbers. Yeah, we get similar questions with disability insurance. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you don't want to deduct anywhere because it taints the proceeds if you should ever become disabled. Yeah. The general rule is if you want a taxable benefit, then you shouldn't be taking a deductible life insurance, uh, disability insurance, anything like that. Yeah. So you just have to look at it. Let's see. When taking into account the bonus accelerated depreciation on investment property, how far back and forward in time can the losses be accounted for? So the rules in 20 that came out 
into 2017 changed all of this. The net operating losses can no longer be carried back at all. We had a couple transient years during COVID where they did allow it, but... Uh, 2018, 19, 18, yeah. But now you cannot carry back NOLs. You can only carry them forward. The positive of that is it's now you can carry them forward indefinitely. Yeah, forever. You're just looking for passive income to offset. If it's just passive losses rather than NOLs, nothing's really changed with that. Those get carried forward forever as long as you own the property. But I'm reading the question a little bit different. Okay. In that, how far back can I go in time on an investment property? Let's say that I bought a property five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. Whatever year you put it into service is going to determine what the bonus depreciation rule is for that property. So let's say that I bought a property in 2019. And here I am in 2023. And I say, I'm going to cost seg that property and I'm going to bonus the depreciation. I'm not bound by the 80% rule that's in, that's in place for 2023. I go back to the year that I put it into service. I think I just said 2020 or did I say 2019? Whatever. 2019. 2019. It was 100% in 2019. That's what I get to use, but I'm going to use it in 2023. So I could actually be making cost seg in bonus depreciation decisions for last year. And for last year, I could be looking at a property that was purchased 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. And I could be choosing to do the bonus in 2022, or I could sit there and do it for 2023. I have a lot of flexibility when it comes to bonus depreciation and cost segregations. I'm just making a change of accounting election, and then that's going to get triggered. So when I look at this question, I'm like, oh, you know what? You go back to whenever you bought that property and we can apply the rule that was in place on that year that you put it into service, but we could choose to elect it this year. And that's going to break some of your brains, right? Because you're going to say, hey, I've had it for 10 years, but aren't you doing five, seven and 15 year property? Yeah, it's not going to be really, it's not going to be as much bang for your buck unless you've done some uh, improvements. But the five and the seven year property, would you'd get to write off 100% of that without even a bonus election because we're already in year 10. But whatever amount you didn't depreciate, you're going to capture right now. And that's important because right now we're within 60 days of two big, big deadlines for tax. So we're kind of backed up. But you also have to get cost segregation completed well before October 15th. You got to jump on them now if you want to do it. But they get it done. But if it doesn't happen, you can still do it for 2023. A lot of times Take it on that. your 2023 return. And the rules, as you were just saying, don't really change. Somebody says, I thought 100% bonus depreciation, the property needed to go into service after September 27, 2017, under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. But you look at whatever whatever that was in, in place, because there was bonus depreciation prior. Mm-hmm. There was bonus depreciation in previous years. You look at the year that you placed it into service. That's why you talk to the, the guys that are experts at it, you know, cost, to, cost seg authority. They'll actually break it down for you. They look at your depreciation schedule, they look at all your improvements, and then they say, oh, here's the benefit if we elect this, this, or this on this particular year. And then you go, oh, hey, if you like this type of stuff, again, go to our YouTube channel. There's uh, my channel and there's Clint's channel. Both of them are free. I'm posting videos like crazy lately. I've been doing videos with all the attorneys here, so I'm making them come up with good ideas, things that you hear about. And I'm like, hey, let's go do a podcast on it and just try to keep getting content out there so that you guys are filling your brains. And then uh, by all means, come to one of the tax and asset protection workshops. Clint and I do those again. We have one coming up. What do we got? August 17th, 26th, and then September. And I know we have more virtual events in September. I'm sure we do. And then by all means, we're going to keep doing, I have some really cool events. I have some really cool joint venture events that I love doing that are going to be coming up. Uh, it's always fun. And so just stick around and uh, make sure that you're taking a look. Because when we do the educational stuff, Sometimes they get some pretty cool people that are like very niche. I love it. Like I uh, did one, Ryan Gibson over at Spartan. That was probably one of my favorite ones. When Frank and Sherry and I do shared housing, that's always fun. Attica Blanc from Pad Split. Those things have been awesome. Love doing stuff with Aaron Adams over at Alpine. And we're bringing different properties to bear. And you're looking at all the, the different communities. Because I don't know if you've been paying attention, but you can go back and look at my videos. But See how accurate we've been on the uh, on the real estate compared to what everybody else was saying last year and the year before. Numbers don't care about our feelings, but uh, for certain in the last uh, the last year or two, they definitely don't care. But there were some people really voting for pain and suffering 
And I was like, yeah, it just doesn't look like it's going to, like, yeah, there's going to be some pain and suffering, just not the way that they were thinking. I didn't see the housing crash, that's for sure. Uh, I was like, no, numbers don't back that up. If you have questions before the next Tax Tuesday, we're two weeks away from the mm-hmm. next Tax Tuesday, send them in at taxtuesday at andersonadvisors.com. And by all means, there's uh, Anderson Advisors as well. Jeff, anything else? No, I got nothing. You got nothing. So how bad are we? We're eight minutes over, so we did all right. I'll take the blame. So you guys have a good one. There's still some questions. I want to say thank you to Dutch, Elliot, Jared, Sergey, Troy, Dana. There's even more. If I could make my cursor go up to this screen, Matthew, Jennifer, they sit there and answer questions all day long. There was 161 open uh, questions that were written responses, as well as hundreds of requests coming through chat. They do a really good job in the middle of tax season. These guys are working their petitions off and they come over here and do the tax Tuesdays. So it's, uh, I never take that for granted. I always appreciate it when other professionals will come on and share their time with other people. So thank you guys. And uh, if that's nothing else, then I'm going to say the last few questions that are lagging out there, they will answer them. So don't worry, don't stop, but I'm going to stop. And I'm going to say, we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 